everyone. Uh, my name is Ruth. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the youth ministers here at Fig Tree. And I thought I would start my sermon off tonight with a bit of a game. So I've done this one with you guys before, if you've been here, but it's a multiple choice game. It'll be up on the screen. And essentially what I want you to do, have a read of it, and then tell me if you want an A, B, or C. Just make the letter above your head, however you want. And that's what we'll do. There's three quotes, and I want you guys to finish the end. So this one is from a movie, and this is a start. There's a great big hunk of world down there, and what, how does it end? With no fence around it, where we can run wild and free, or but I don't want it unless you're by my side. So take a moment, have a think, but think quickly, and get ready with your answer. All right, I'm seeing some answers above your head. Nice. Actually, is that a B? That's a B. Okay, that's good. Seeing Bs, seeing some Cs, seeing some As. You're doing well, guys. I love this. And the answer is A. It is. There's a great big hunk of world down there with no fence around it. It's from Lady and the Tramp. The context probably would have helped you there, but I wasn't going to be that nice. All right, next one. This is a quote from a famous real-life person. That's all I'll give you. Uh, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others, but to help others cast off theirs as well, or but to open the door and explore every corner of life beyond these walls. What do you think it is? Bit of discussion, I like it. I love the different methods of letters here too. That's great. All right. The answer is A again. <laughs> and that's from Nelson Mandela. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. All right, third one. This is from a novel. This is a book. Some tourists think that Amsterdam is a city of sin, but in truth, it is a city of freedom. Freedom to do whatever you want and be whoever you want to be. And in freedom, most people find sin, or because freedom and sin are always entwined. What do we think about this one? Oh. <laughs> all right, you guys all have your answers. That's good. We've got a lot of A's. I didn't actually do that. <laughs> the answer is B. And in freedom, most people find sin. And that is from The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. All right, well, thank you very much for playing the game with me, indulging my youth minister side, playing some games along with us. Um, and you might have noticed that all those quotes had one thing in common, and that is they were all about freedom. And the reason for that is because my talk tonight is all about freedom. Uh, the first sentence of our passage in Galatians said this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And I want you to let that sink in. You are called to be free. When was the last time you really thought about that concept? 
When you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, he calls you to be free. He wants you to experience freedom. But I think the heart of all of this is the question, well, what actually is freedom? What does it mean? And if those three quotes at the start were anything to go by as just a little sample size, you can see that the world has got a whole range of ideas around what freedom means and what it looks like in our lives. But what about you? When you hear the word freedom, what do you think of? Maybe you think of having no responsibilities. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to check in with anyone or consider anyone else. No responsibilities whatsoever. Or maybe it is not being accountable to anyone. Go where you want, when you want, don't have to say anything. Or maybe freedom for you is having a healthy body, one that works well, no aches and pains, no sickness and disease. Or maybe freedom would be freedom from suffering, no loss, no sadness, no pain to work through. Or maybe it might just be having infinite money. There are no bounds. You can fly wherever you want, whenever you want, no questions asked, buy anything that you could ever want. And there are so many ways that we can think about freedom. It means a whole bunch of things. But what does Paul mean when he says that we're called to be free? And the truth is, is that Jesus offers us, offers us freedom on every single level. But to simplify it tonight, I've broken it down into two main categories. Jesus offers us freedom from death and freedom for a relationship with God. So firstly, freedom from death. That means freedom from the consequences of our sin. Freedom from the separation from God and the separation from all good things. That's freedom from the consequences that we deserve. And that's a big part of what Jesus' mission was, right, in coming to the earth, to enter creation, to take the punishment of sin by dying on the cross for us. Because the thing about God is that he's perfect and his place is perfect and this new creation that he's bringing to us will be perfect. But the thing about us is that we certainly are not perfect. We add and contribute to the brokenness of this world every single day. And so that means that we are separated from this good and perfect place with God. They don't fit together. But Jesus came to earth and he died instead. So that means that when it's time for this new creation to be revealed, when it's time for God to come and judge the living and the dead, we will be judged righteous. We will be judged perfect. It'll be as if we haven't done a single wrong thing in our life if we choose to trust Jesus because he has wiped it away and he has paid the price for that. If we trust Jesus, there is nothing left that we owe. And that is one of the ways that we're called to be free. When we say yes to having a relationship with Jesus, we are freed from death. And what I mean by death is a spiritual death, away from God. We no longer face an eternal punishment. We walk free. But there's so much more than that, than just being saved from death. 
This second point is that we are saved for a relationship with God. And this is the most incredible thing of all, because now we are free to know God and to understand that we are fully known by God. Freedom from death for life with God. And through the Spirit, through God's Holy Spirit, we're free for holiness, for true life, free to be sons and daughters in the most happy family. We're free to enjoy the inheritance that Jesus has and to enjoy Jesus now and forevermore. When we're called into freedom, we have the creator of the universe as our dad. And he is a dad who is deeply invested in us, who loves us endlessly, who is always there for us and who wants to hear from us. And the kind of extension of that means that we are free from our need to prove ourselves to anyone, to prove that we are enough. We don't need to achieve anything. We don't need to look a certain way or output a certain amount of work or be the best at anything or the smartest or the most creative or leave the best legacy. No matter what, we are loved. That is freedom. We have nothing to prove. You don't need to keep trying to convince, your, your, convince other people of your worth because Jesus has accepted you just as you are and has called you worthy enough of being his sons and daughters. And what do we do with this freedom? Verse 13 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So this freedom comes with a caution. Just because we're freed from the consequences of our sin does not mean that we should do whatever we want. Freedom isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Like, yep, i got God in my back pocket, now I can just keep living my life however I want. Because remember, I said the second part of the freedom, the second category, is to be free to have a relationship with God. And when we have a genuine relationship with God, things change. He takes out our heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit transforms our desires to make them more in line with how the world should be. But the tricky part is that we haven't yet fully accepted our freedom in Jesus. One day we will, but for now we are still caught between the desires of our flesh and the desires of this, our new heart that the Spirit has given us. And God tells us, like, hey, just because you don't face the consequence of the sin that you do, it doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want. Verses 16 to 17 say this. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It is really important for us to understand that not all of our desires are good. 
And we certainly have times where we absolutely should not act on our desires. Because every single day we are going to have the urge to be selfish in one way or another. To do whatever makes us feel good regardless of whether it is actually good or not. And Paul gives us some really clear examples of what it looks like to satisfy the flesh and to give in to these misplaced desires. He says this in verse 19, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. These are all ways that when we act like this, we are not loving God, we are not loving ourselves, and we are not loving the people around us. And sexual impurity, this is a huge one for Paul. He talks about this in almost every single letter that he writes. Because sex is a good thing, but outside of its designed context, it is harmful. And acting upon our sexual desires outside of a marriage context is selfish. But there's more than just that. Idolatry. This is putting something as your greatest desire that is not God. That is making it your life's ambition to earn a certain title or to accrue a certain sum of money, or to have a particular relationship or lifestyle, or wanting people to remember you as great. Now, don't get me wrong. None of these desires are bad in and of themselves. They only become a problem when we care about them more than we care about God. Because when anything other than God becomes our primary focus in life, then we have slipped into idolatry. But this list makes it clear that how we live with one another also really matters. Things like hatred and discord and jealousy, envy, factions, these are all acts of the flesh, and they will harm us. Verse 15 says this, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We're called to live in peace with one another, to love each other, to be patient and to be forgiving. But we sure can be cruel to one another, can't we? Be careful how you treat other people, especially behind their backs, and especially those who you find it really difficult to like. Because we will destroy each other if we are nasty and mean and try to cause division. That is not what freedom is. But I want to say this list is not here to condemn us. There are going to be many times every single day that we all slip into sin. Stuff on this list and stuff Paul hasn't included here. The first part is that we're free from the condemnation of our sinful acts. That's part of it. But Paul is also really clear to say that how we live still does matter. And at this point, you might be asking, well, Ruth, this doesn't really sound like freedom. You're telling me it is, 
But it seems like it comes with all these terms and conditions and expectations about how I'm going to live. And I want to say that God tells us these things because he loves us. Because loving someone does not mean that you agree with everything that they do or support every decision that they choose to make. A parent should not let their child burn themselves on the stone, on the stove, because they are letting them do whatever they want. That is not love. Love is intervening when you see someone doing something that's going to hurt them. Loving someone means sometimes you're going to have to have hard conversations with people that you really care about. And I remember one of those times for me, I'd just graduated year 12, and I was talking to one of my old youth leaders, and he very lovingly said to me, hey, you know when you hang out with that friend, your behaviour changes. You aren't really helping to show, to show her Jesus. You're really letting her behaviour influence you. And that's not who you are and normally how you act. And he was right. And that was a really hard conversation to have, but I am still, so many years later, extremely thankful that he had that conversation with me. It was loving for him to come beside me and say, hey, look at this area of your life. I think you can do better than that. And I am so thankful for that conversation, even though I'm sure it was hard for him and it was hard for me. It is not loving to stay silent when you think your friend is headed down the wrong track. And that is what God is doing with us, except his perspective is perfect. God knows what is best for us because he created us. And I want us to really understand that we are God's creations. He made us. So, of course, God knows what's best for us because he designed us. Imagine if you invent something. You're the one who knows best how it works because you're the one who took the time to plan it, to gather the materials and to make all the intricate parts work together just so. You know this machine inside and out. You know when it's showing signs of breaking, you know what environment it thrives in, and you know what it needs for the maintenance to look after it. And that's really similar to what God is doing with us. It's crazy for us to think that we know what life should look like better than how, what God knows. Because we can't know that. We're God's creations. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has a better plan for you than you could ever dream up on your own. But I want to take time, just a second here, to preface that because it's okay to feel disappointed with how your life has turned out. If it didn't live up to everything that you had hoped and dreamed. Because we all face pain and heartache and go through really tricky times in life. But the key is, is that we have the hope that as we move through that pain and that disappointment, that we will see the beauty that God can bring from awful situations. And he has a plan for you that will be so amazingly blow your mind. So when God is telling us how we should live, that's really kind of like the inventor giving the invention the part of the instruction manual. 
He is saying to us, hey, I created you to work like this. This is how you were designed and this is how you will thrive most if you operate. God's instructions are not to condemn us or to put us in chains or to control us. It's him revealing his guide of how we can live lives that are best for us. Now, like I said, this doesn't mean that life is always going to go great because, like I said before, we are all still wrestling with those sinful desires and those sinful desires are bound to make us bump into each other and hurt each other and ourselves. But listening to God is the best way that we can live. And we really need to trust that. Freedom isn't doing whatever you want. Freedom is choosing to trust your creator and that he has your best interest at heart. He is the one that will help us to live lives that are truly free. And what will life look like if we choose to live in this freedom? Verses 22 to 23 tell us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because you see, the thing about God, he doesn't just leave us collecting dust in the corner while he works on something new. No, he loves us now and forever. And he loves us so much that when we choose to follow Jesus, he sends his spirit to come and to live inside us to help guide us and to help comfort us. The spirit is the one who helps us understand how we should live and the one who helps us live like that. He is the one who transforms our desires to make us look more like Jesus. He is the one who brings beautiful things out from inside us to bless the world. And this verse tells us that this spirit will create fruit in us. And so he's like saying, while the acts of the flesh were obvious, the work of the spirit is also obvious. This single fruit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These aren't things we need to do to earn God's favour. These are the things that God is going to do in and through us when we have a relationship with him. The Spirit's job is to bring that out in us. And these are the evidence of God being at work in us. Freedom means that we are now people who God will use to produce these beautiful things. Being in Christ means we have killed these old passions and desires. Not that they're yet fully gone. That will happen one day in the new creation. But when we live in a world where that is all that we are producing. And this world to come will be far more beautiful than anything we've ever experienced. And we will be filled with love and joy and peace. And it will be perfect. So I want to leave you guys with this. Please take hold of the freedom that God offers us through Jesus. Freedom from the death that we deserve 
and free to be in a relationship with our Creator, who knows you better than anyone ever could and who loves you deeply anyway. Doing whatever you want is not true freedom because that is not how you were created to be. Don't let the desires of the flesh trick you into thinking that immediate gratification or doing whatever you feel like in the moment is good for you. It's not worth it. People will tell you, follow your heart and you do you, but really that is not love because our heart is fickle and it changes its mind and it will get us in all sorts of trouble. But God does not change and we can trust him. He is constant and he always has your best interest at heart. So when things get hard, trust him and what he says above your own desires. Because God has something far better for us than we could ever create for ourselves. You are called to be free, so don't settle for anything less. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are people who call us into freedom that your life and your law are not chains, but a freedom for us, Father. Help us to be in tune with your spirit. Help us to say no to the desires of the flesh and allow your spirit to transform us and bring out this beautiful fruit that blesses the world. May all of us see you, Father, and accept your invitation to love you and to follow Jesus into true freedom. Amen.